the origin of it, I'm not sure how I kind of got to the point, you know, where, where that concept existed, but where it really became important was when, you know, I ended up, you know, I have my wife and we have kids and then it goes, okay, so what if, what happens if something happens to Joe and Joe can't work, then what? Mm. Like my wife's not going to run the companies. So what happens? And so the idea was, I want to have a certain lifestyle. I want to have uh, experiences with my kids and I want my family to be able to live a certain way. And, and I want them to be able to continue to do that even if I happen to not be here, which would be devastating. But if I happen to not be here, I want everything to be able to operate the same. And so it was really out of a, a, a point of preservation. How do we preserve everything that we have and, and what we want in the future for our children and our family so that my, you know, so the business can operate. Welcome to episode 139 of my podcast. Today, we are delving into a common bottleneck symptom that many entrepreneurs face. How getting lost in the nitty-gritty details can hinder your business growth. The classic problem. Entrepreneurs often find themselves submerged in day-to-day -day operations, leaving them with little time for strategic thinking. This constant juggling can prevent you from moving your business forward and focusing on the bigger picture. My guest, Joe Rea, understands this challenge all too well. He knows that breaking free from the daily grind and building a capable team can be transformative. Such a shift in perspective can lead to increased efficiency and ultimately personal freedom. In my conversation with Joe, he'll share valuable insights on how to detach from the daily operations and scale your way to freedom. But wait, there's more to bottlenecks than just one symptom. If you're curious to know if bottlenecks might be lurking in your business, I've got the tool for you, the Bottleneck Index. It's a quick and accurate assessment that evaluates potential bottlenecks and their impact on your business. Plus, it offers practical solutions to help you overcome them. You can find the link to access this resource in our show notes. So stay tuned and let's tackle those bottlenecks together. Hey, Joe, when nice night hey. summer for you so no skiing <laughs> not right now no and I, i'm a big i i snowmobile a lot so snowmobile is my thing so when it's winter right now we're getting in shape so that we can uh, go snowmobile in the winter yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you already miss it <laughs> oh yeah i i miss the cold but it, it's nice it's i mean you know for montana some of the, the the summer weather here is is unmatched it's beautiful there's so much to do it's it's so mm -hmm. much hiking and outdoor activity so it's it's uh this is this is the place for summer activity for sure. So let, let's let's start into into the, the conversation. And you know, I, I believe that the biggest risk entrepreneurs face isn't a lack of cash flow or marketing, it's actually themselves, right? Yeah, and that's what I that's what I call becoming the bottleneck in your business. And you seem to have learned that lesson because when we first met, you told me something that really stuck with me. You said, I've created businesses trying to answer one question. What happens if Joe dies? Tell <laughs> yeah. me more about it. You know, how did you come up to that realization? 
Um, let's see. I mean, the realization is, is, you know, it, it really, I, I should say I, the origin of it. I'm not sure how I kind of got to the point, you know, where, where that concept existed, but where it really became important was when, you know, I ended up, you know, I have my wife and we have kids and then it goes, okay, so what if, what happens to, if something happens to Joe and Joe can't work, then what? Mm. Like my wife's not going to run the companies. So what happens? And so the idea was, I want to have a certain lifestyle. I want to have uh, experiences with my kids and I want my family to be able to live a certain way. And, and I want them to be able to continue to do that. Even if I happen to not be here, which would be devastating. But if I happen to not be here, I want everything to be able to operate the same. And so it was really out of a, a point of preservation. How do we preserve everything that we have and, and what we want in the future for our children and our family so that my, you know, so that the business can operate. And, um, I'd done the other side, I'd done the work 12, 14 hours a day and you grind your face off. And it wasn't, it wasn't producing what it should. So if you're working 12, 14 hours a day, mm -hmm. you would think you would just have so much. And it was the opposite. I had less freedom. I had less time. And to be honest, I had less money. And so when I removed myself and realized like, Hey, what if Joe's not here? How would that thing operate, produce income and all of that? How could we make it work without me? And that was that was kind of the premise was like to protect my family and and you know our financial resources. Okay, but you're saying you're saying you you had before you had less money, so which means now you have more money, more freedom. For sure, the businesses are are, are better. But how how is it possible when you remove yourself? Well, but you just put teams in place, and I know I, I know this is like a concept that people like to say is easy. It's not. It takes a lot of uh, strategy. It takes a lot of trial and error. It takes a lot of mistakes. It takes tons of failures. And, you know, the reality is, though, if you look at business organizations, they're not supposed to require the entrepreneur, the CEO, the owner, whatever, to be in the mix doing it. Mm -hmm. That isn't why we start businesses. All of us start businesses for freedom, freedom in some way. Freedom could be as simple as I want to do things my way. So I want to do my own, you know, my own business. I want to do it my way. It could be, I want more time. I want more money. Um, if I'm doing it for somebody else, I'm making them wealthy. Instead of making myself wealthy, I want to make myself wealthy. And so, you know, we all started businesses usually on the same track of freedom in some way. And so I became very, very focused on the idea of freedom and creating freedom. And I mean, the, the fastest way to freedom is financial resources and then time resources. And as soon as you have both of those, like at the doors open, money flows, it's easy to get into investment deals. It's easy to grow your business if you have time. But when you're a busy entrepreneur and you're the bottleneck and you're sitting inside the business, the only thing you can see is around those four doors, or the four walls is within that, that ecosystem you're sitting inside of. The moment yeah. you remove yourself and you stand up top above it, it's unbelievable what you see. So and what did how, you what what did you yeah. see? Well, I just saw that I was uh, I was part of I was part of the problem on why the company couldn't grow, and I learned a ton about myself. I thought, hey, you know, in in uh, growing up in sports and stuff, I was always you know quarterback, point guard, like the leader, right? I was yeah. always the captain. That that's who I was. So when I got into business, I thought, well, that's obviously I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the leader. And what I learned is that I'm not great at leading business teams because my, my idea is the vision. I like the vision of the business. I like the, the strategic, 
you know, outlook and trying to figure out where the company's going to go. How do we allocate resources to the right place? But on the day-to-day operations, I have zero interest in operating it. And so mm-hmm. that was a huge thing for me to understand is that I don't want to operate the company. So I'm not great at leading the teams that operate the company because all I want to do is create and do more and find bigger things and figure out ways to, to make things bigger and better. I need operational people. So the idea of, I forget what the book is, right? But you have the visionary and the, and the integrator. And that, what, when, I, when I first heard that, I was like, oh my God, that totally makes sense. I'm not an integrator. I need somebody else to go do it. And as soon as I figured that out and we put somebody in place to go be the integrator, sky's the limit. It was so easy. And then they ran the teams, they managed the people, they ensured, you know, reporting and everything was working smoothly. And I got to come in and say, Hey, how's everything going? <laughs> How are things looking? Yeah. Great. Let's look at some numbers. Okay, cool. Let's go here. And that yeah. and it's, it's really allowed me to, it allowed me to focus on my strengths and really, mm. really push through there. So it's, 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 it's interesting. It's interesting what you're saying. You talk about a book. I mean, other entrepreneurs that I've, I've talked to, they come up to a realization what maybe a coach or a lot of people also mentions mentioned books, but usually it's an external factor. It could be like one of your one of your employees. But what you said is the most difficult part was to come to the realization. The easiest part was to do something about it. Yeah. Right. How, yeah. Why? Why? Why is that? Do you think? I, I think that self awareness, which it, it's kind of getting talked about a lot excuse me, it's getting talked about much more often now than it probably mm. has over the past, you know, 20 years. Um, self-realization and understanding who you are and what your strengths are, it, I, I think is one of the fundamental, most important things if you're going to operate a company. Mm-hmm. So I, I know that I can hire and put somebody in place and actually they can do the things that I'm not good at. And, and, I, and that it is so much faster. And if you want to talk about creating velocity in a business, fastest thing you can do is you could put somebody in place to take your weaknesses on that happen to be their strengths. And then you guys team up and you guys fly. And we, I think we've been really, really successful at doing just that. You know, we can find the gaps. We can figure out what the challenges are. Okay. Joe's not going to be able to do that. This other person can't do that. So we fill that gap with somebody who's exceptional in just that one area. And then we're off and then we're off to the races. And so, I mean, it, it truly is about building teams. It's about building you know, our, our processes and our systems and using human beings to actually execute it. And there's technology involved too, but I mean, organizations are teams, you know, and it's teams of people. And so people, people are made of business, businesses are made of people. people. That's right. hundred percent. That's exactly it. Uh, But still, I, I see so many entrepreneurs being stuck. Yeah. And because of one of the symptoms, the bottleneck symptoms that I call the inability to let go. Yeah, you, know, you want you want to take you want to take it for yourself, and you just like no 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 I'm I don't want to give control to someone else. <laughs> it could be like the bank account. It could be like right. empowering your team to make decisions because usually they are afraid of something. Did you have to? Was that a challenge also for you? In the beginning, it was super challenging because yeah. um, when your own money and it, this is what I've kind of come to realize. I think I think I think this is the thing, and and I've I've through conversations with clients and hearing people having trouble delegating and getting out of the way, it, a lot of times it comes down to, this is my nest egg, right? This is my money. I'm investing in this and I'm putting my heart and soul into it. I'm putting my 
time into it. I'm, you know, my time away from my family or away from the things that I love. I'm putting my time and my money into something and they want to protect it. And I can respect that. What they don't understand is that by providing opportunities for other people, you actually increase your own opportunity. And I think that the challenge with delegating and with letting go is that people really, and this goes back to financial literacy, where most people don't have financial literacy. They They don't understand the language of money. And so what happens a lot of times mm. is that they hoard money and they want to hoard things. And, and even the control of their business, it, when, they, when they clamp down and want to hold on to it, what it does is it literally suffocates the money flow and you can't grow. And I see this a lot because we deal with a lot of agencies and you know they'll get virtual assistants and they'll work with our company. And then all of a sudden you go, okay, but the company hasn't grown. Then they, then they have to let their VA go because they don't have enough financial resources. And a lot of the companies, and it's simply because they just don't understand yeah, if you would have just gotten a second VA, created space, created opportunity for the company to grow, you wouldn't be in this situation. And, yeah. you know, and uh, and so I think it's it's challenging for people because they're afraid to let spend money, let money go, uh, let things free flow. Like, yeah, it's just it's uh money doesn't like to be to be, you know, hoarded. Money needs mm. to flow, it needs to move. And I think I, I believe that it's a financial fear more than anything else is one of the reasons people can't delegate. They're afraid to let things go. And they and think yet. there's more, and, and I think there's more, impo- they, they believe there's more importance in the things that they're willing, that they want to hold on to. Like example is, is email, right? Mm-hmm. Why is your email inbox so important to you? Right. Na- name, name something that comes up in your email daily. That is huge opportunity. Yeah. It doesn't. What is it? Yeah. It's fires. Mostly it's fires mostly yeah. it's things to do. So what yeah. you don't have is you don't have this huge importance. As soon as you let your email inbox go, I feel like everything else is easy because you're like, yeah. okay, another human being is checking my private email. They're looking at my email. They're categorizing it. They're prioritizing it. They're going to then report to me and tell me if this is any good. And if I need to pay attention to it and Hey, this is, you know, we can't solve this without you. Those are the only things that I touch. If we can't solve this without Joe, then Joe gets involved. But otherwise it gets past where it's supposed to go to the people who are going to execute on it. I don't need to be in my inbox. There's no reason for it. And so that's an interesting one, right? Giving up your Mm -hmm. privacy. And so people are afraid of it. But the moment that you do, you have all this free time. You have all this free mental space. Yeah, and uh, exactly. And that's, that's a great point because I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't understand what entrepreneurship is really about. Yes. I mean, at the beginning, when the business is small, you have to do everything, granted, yes. by yourself. Okay, it's fine. But then they go to the point which you were talking about the inbox. I think it's because, you know, it keeps them busy. It keeps yes. people busy. Yes. You know, fake fake work. Yep. So it gives you this sense of moving, being, being busy moving, but not achieving anything. Correct. And at the same time, because you don't realize what it, what it is to be an entrepreneur, you're not doing the right, the right work. So let me ask you, if you've delegated everything, what do you do during your days? <laughs> Strategized. I think, yeah. I, I think my whole day is about thinking. It's about like just review, like, you know, I'll, I'll review numbers, you know, once a week and I'll kind of go through and just, you know, and I'm looking at highlights of numbers and I'm looking at how things are going. And if we're not moving in a certain direction, okay, that's something, you know, so we do this red light, green light system. And so as things are, as things are going, numbers are the same way, right? So we have performance of our people, we have KPIs and we have, you know, the performance of our people. 
And it, they have red light, yellow light, green light. And if their performance drops into yellow, there's something to address and we need to, we need to touch on it. If they hit red, we already have a problem that's going to be bigger than what it should be. And I'm going to be very upset about that because we should have addressed it while it was a, a yellow light. Right. Right. So that's, that's kind of like our first thing. I do the same thing with finances and with, you know, with the direction of the company and how things are moving. And we look at these numbers and we go, okay, you know, Hey, for some reason, like expenses are up in this area and, and, you know, we're not getting as many clients out of whatever investment we're making. That's a, now we're in a yellow light. Now we have to address what that is. I get to sit and I get to strategize on, on what we should be doing to make those adjustments. So I look at myself and maybe I should, you know, my title should be strategic advisor and investor. And I'm, I'm an, I'm an advisor to the company. That's all I do. And so I evaluate what is going on and how do we improve? How do we stop fires from happening before they happen? And then how do we make good resourceful investments into the company and into multiple companies so that we have a good return on the investment and so that we can grow the company. And that's, that's where I, that's what I do with my time. That's it. Interesting. It's a totally different way of operating yeah. businesses. You know, my, if I don't have time to think, then the company's going to have massive troubles. All I need to do is I need time to seriously think. And so my wife will laugh. Like, you know, I work from home, of course, and I'll go get in my truck and I just, I just drive, I drive into the mountains. I drive and, and I call it windshield time. And it's just like, for some reason, I think very well when I'm in the wind, when I'm in the, the vehicle, put in some headphones, use my, you know, use my voice memos in my phone. And I just talk to myself and I tell myself all of these notes and all these things, then it's transcribed. And then we go, okay, great. What do we need out of here? And then you figure out what to do. Yeah. I go for walks. Enjoy yeah. So there you go. I don't know. Maybe I should walk more. I don't know. I like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You were promoting Montana and all the Vikings. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. I got to watch out for grizzly bears. Though, so. <laughs> ah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> See, in Finland, we don't have that problem. At least in Helsinki. So how long did it take? Take you to get to, to that point where you kind of like what build you know you build a business around your lifestyle and not not the other way around how long, how did, it long did it take yeah that's a good question um how long does it take now it takes the the moment we come up with an idea it it turns into that business but before mm -hmm. it took me failing it took me running businesses the wrong way it took me losing key players on my team because I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't driving them in the right direction that was most beneficial for them. As an example, it, it took time. It took a lot of trial and error that, you know, in the, the call it the first round. Uh, but I think what, what was, what's been, what's made it successful and easy to do it now is that we just created a blueprint. It's just our process and our framework for how we launch something new. It doesn't matter if it's a project. It doesn't matter if it's a company. Um, everything's always done the exact same way. We know exactly what we need to do. We go execute that exact thing. We find out if it's something viable to pursue. And if it doesn't fit again, the lifestyle structure that I want, if we can't operate it the way that we're supposed to be operating it to fit my lifestyle and build the teams that we want, then we don't do it. And so keeping the exact same process over and over gives us a lot of flexibility, but it also makes everything predictable. Mm. Everything's predictable. We can pick up one person from one company and move them into the same role in another company and they have the same tasks, the same, same responsibilities. It's identical. Mm. So it might be that we have these different businesses that do different things, but the backend operations are identical. And so that has created a lot of predictability and it makes it very easy to grow and try new things. Indeed. And is this something that not today you're trying to teach your clients? Like 
playing yeah i mean I, I would love to here's what's interesting about people is unless they're pursuing how to do it trying to convince a client like hey you should do it my way doesn't work <laughs> no and and, it, and it's and it just hasn't so you know i've thought I, i've i've had thoughts recently like you know i've never really put a course together that taught this and i thought you know, maybe I should, and I should just, I should just put it out there, launch it, make it really inexpensive so people can afford it. Um, and just go and, and with the, with the, the only intent is just say, look, like this is how I've done it. And, you know, I've done some pretty cool stuff like for, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm 42, so I'm not, you know, young and kicking, but I'm not old either. And I've got a ton <laughs> left to do, and I've got lots of opportunities to pursue and what I do know is that, you know, like in, in the intro, you said, you know, we have four companies that we operate, but the reality is now we're up to six and we just launched two over about 90, 120 days with two companies. Both of them are profitable. Both of them have are completely operated by other people. Mm. And both of these new companies, um, we use the same process and we were able, you know, for example, we were able to, to build one of them to seven, what will be a seven figure business, right? We're already doing six figures um, every single month. That one, we did that in like 40 days. Right. And so when people think building a business is hard, it's like, well, I, I understand, but that's just because you don't have a blueprint. You don't have a map. So I've, I've thought about building some sort of a course, a program, something just to show people like what I've done. Cause I keep getting asked, you know, we do these podcast interviews and everybody asks, you know, like, okay, how did you, how are you able to do it? It's not that I'm magic. It's just that I, like, I figured out something that works really well and we keep doing it. So it's not like we're doing something unique, right? We just keep doing the same thing over and over and it's working. So I guess I could, you know, I could document it and share it. Yeah, in, indeed. That would be, that would be uh, very interesting to show your experience. Um, you mentioned, you know, you had like a lot of failures, a lot, a lot of uh, learnings along the way. Somewhere, yeah. I think in your, I think it's in your LinkedIn <laughs> description or, or mm. I, I read something like saying like the road was definitely made of dirt with a lot of potholes. <laughs> yeah. Can you, can you mention some? I bankrupted myself in real estate um, the first round because I was in my mid twenties and I was an idiot and I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I was doing, I, I got really, I got into it. I, I sold my, I sold my first company um, when I was in my early twenties and it was, I was, you know, I was young. And so I didn't get as much money as I should have looking back. Yeah. I'm like, Oh man, I could, all I had to do was, all I had to do was ask for more. And I, they would have been like, yes, hundred percent. And so I didn't get as much as I wanted, but it got, it got me into real estate. And in theory, I had a good run and it was working really, really well for the time. The problem yeah. was, was I wasn't, see, I, I didn't have any experience to know when to see the signs of things were going to get bad. So when the market crashed in 08, 09, um, I was wrapped in the middle of doing a bunch of fix and flips and I had a bunch of properties and I had to give eight properties back to the bank. And so it was, you know, and then I, so now I'm back to whatever's in my bank account is all I have. And I, it wasn't much. And so then that put me in a, a place where I go, okay, well, I don't want to do that, make that mistake again. And so then I built a, a business using the model of the four hour work week. Mm. And I literally read the book, sat down at my, my kitchen table and I, page by page, literally paragraph by paragraph, I built a business identical to the book and it ran for years. I made one mistake that ended up making the business close down, which was, and they said, you know, Tim Ferriss says in the book, don't build a business on ingestibles, like supplements and things. And I did. <laughs> and, and the product was a supplement. And, you know, I think I was, I don't know, five years in or something like that. And the FDA decided, hey, this product's not allowed to be uh, marketed anymore. 
right? Because right. it was a homeopathic natural supplement. Anyway, so um, so the okay, game over, company's down. And but that but what's great about that is that failure led me into using virtual assistants on a daily basis forever. So mm -hmm. I hired my first VA in November of 2008 to work in that business in that e-commerce business. And I've had, v I've had a team work with me every single day since that day. And so it's allowed me, I, it's like that failure then helped pave the way, you know? Um, so that's one. And then, you know, I have a great team and, and actually I made a huge mistake last year, about a year ago um, in my leadership and, and where I wanted to, I was, you know, dr we're driving the company and I have somebody who's in a position as, as an operations manager. She's phenomenal. She's top tier. She's making phenomenal money, especially, you know, she's in the Philippines. We're paying her U.S. wages. And I screwed up because I, I was pushing and I wanted to drive her into an actual C-level role. And that's what I wanted her to be. I wanted her to be a C-level executive. I wanted her to have equity in the company. And that's mm -hmm. where I wanted her to go. The problem was, was that she, I'd, whether she wanted it or didn't want it, doesn't matter. It was the fact that it was not the right place for her to go. Her career would not succeed if she moved up. And I was too narrow-minded and focused to see that. So what ended up happening is I blew her out and it, it, that part of the company blew up. We lost her completely in the company. So she's no longer with us anymore. All because my mission was to drive her forward into a place that she shouldn't have gone. And Talking I, about being I, the bottleneck in the business. There was. <laughs> and it's like, you know what? Everything runs better when Joe's not around. I should you know, like, get me out of here. And so as soon as I leave, like everything gets better. And uh, yeah, and it was like, you know what? I look back and I'm like, she was operating everything phenomenal. And, and I blew it up. And that was stupid. And, and that was a huge mistake I made. And I, I vowed to look at people's careers differently and really, really support where they believe they should go and really assess their skill set, and never try to put them in a position that I think is better if it's not where they need to be. And so that was a huge lesson. That was a gigantic lesson. Yeah, you bet. Can we talk a little bit about um, the advantages of virtual assistants? Because I just hired my own virtual assistant. I uh, I can see virtual assistants popping up everywhere right now. Yep. Yep. Uh, but a lot of entrepreneurs don't and uh, don't don't uh, don't uh, value their roles. Can you tell us a little bit about about that? Well, I think they don't value the roles because it's they they are narrow-minded and not in a negative way. It's just that we we have an understanding that people near you are more qualified right? Yeah. People near you or more skilled. And that's just not the truth. So I like, I like to give people the example when this comes up and they're just like, well, can they really do that? I love to bring up this idea. So I live outside of Bozeman, Montana. So we're in Montana. Mm -hmm. There's more people in Seattle than in the entire state of Montana. <laughs> There's nobody here, right? Like, I mean, but like, don't move here or anything. Cause like Montana's full. That's what we like to say. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's allowed to move here. But the reality is, it's like, so in the, you know, like Bozeman itself is like the hub of where we, of where I live. Right. But there's less than, I think there's like 55,000 people. There's nobody, nobody's here in yeah. reality. So when, when, if I wanted to run a company and I wanted to hire key players to run my company here, my options are super limited. Mm -hmm. Could I get the, the, the right talent? Doubtful. However, guess what? There's 400 million people sitting over in a, a, a small segment of Asia that, you know, we look at the Philippines. We can easily 
find top tier talent that have more education than this college dropout. Yeah. They have degrees, they have master's degrees, they have experience, they've done things and you can grow them and mold them into the position that you want very, very easily for a fraction of the cost of hiring in the U S. So, you know, the, the, the mindset of the talent being different be, just because they're on the opposite side of the world or something, it's, it's just, it, it's, it's eventually going to fade and people are going to have to get used to it. The reality is, is that, you know, like we have team members that have way more education than me. They're way more skilled than I could ever be in that specialization. And it would be foolish for me to think like, well, I need to hire somebody here local just because of this, you know, fake thought that people are better here in the U S or in Finland or what, mm -hmm. like, it's just not the case. Every single thing you see that involves my companies or me, I didn't create it. There's nothing out there. This hat didn't make it. Shirt didn't make it. Background didn't make it. Every single thing you see, every video edited, every audio thing that you see, I didn't do any of it. It's all done by, by virtual assistants. So what's the value of them? The value is freedom. They create freedom. They give you time back and they do it at a fraction of the cost of, of hiring local. Yeah. I lived 20 years in Southeast Asia before, okay. before Finland. So I can, I can tell you, I confirm that there yeah. are a lot of talents over there. It's and the Philippines, Filipinos are very close to America in yes. terms of, in terms of. Culture. And that's how we landed there is yeah. that, you know, I tried everything. I tried India, I tried Sri Lanka, I tried Pakistan and Vietnam. And we tried all these places when I hit the Philippines and noticed they wear our clothes, they listen to our music, they watch our movies. And yeah. I'm speaking from the U S side and street signs are in English. Universities teach in English. And I'm like, they, they get it. They understand our culture yeah. and they mimic our culture. And because they do that, it's super easy to have them work on things um, more than what I found in other countries. Not saying that somebody can't in another country, but I, that's just what I found. And it's been, it's been, you know, it's been amazing. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. My, my VA is from Madagascar. So she speaks French. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. But she's great. She does know what she does. She takes initiative. I'm like, yeah, sure. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> things yep. I didn't think about. Like she's really part of my team. Of my, yes. my small team of myself and her and someone else, but that's it. You know, and if, I, I, if I love you it. treat them like a team member, yeah. they will, they will perform like a team member. But if you treat them like they're, there's some outsourced person over there and you're not going to give them the same respect and time, that's what you're going to get. Then all you have to do is treat them like they belong sitting next to you. And as soon as you do that, you will have success. Great. Yeah. Well, These fantastic conversations. conversations. Yeah. Bottlenecks, man. Uh, I have two more questions for you. Fire. First, if you take your entire experience, you know, of winnings, potholes, and dirt, and everything, and summarize it into one practical recommendation for aspiring entrepreneurs, what would it be? Go fail. Go fail. Go fail fast. Fail, fall down, get back up, do it again. So I can attribute two things to building companies that ha are successful very, very fast and then, and then sustain themselves um, and that don't require me. And the first one is, is that we fail very, very fast. So we go out and we try something while most people are still trying to get their designs right and get their stuff pretty and build their landing pages or their website or try to figure out exactly what to say. 
we've already attempted to sell our offer, our product, our service, our, you know, a business, we've already tried to sell it a hundred times. So the first thing that we, we do is we go out and we try to figure out, can we fail? Can we, can we figure out, can we disprove our excitement in this, in this venture? And so for one of the companies we just launched, that was the first thing that we did. Okay. This sounds like the most amazing idea. I love it. I'm excited about it. I'm all in on it, but will anybody give us money for it? So the first thing we did, let's go contact everybody, hmm. all of our existing clients. Let's go contact, you know, and, and we just went down the line and we just started asking people for money. Let's go. Would you buy it? Would you buy it? Would you buy it? Yes. And as soon as we develop, we go, okay, we've got, you know, almost 20 clients here. This is a real business. It's, it's already generating, you know, it, it, what it'll do $250,000 in, if we just sustain this for the next, you know, 10 months, this is a real business, right? We can do something great here. So then we said, okay, now let's create a brand around it. Let's build our website and all that stuff. And boom, now we have a company that's doing seven figures. It was that, it was like that. And then the second thing is we have a process that we can drop that into. And because our process is so replicable, right? It's the exact same thing every single time we can start anything, figure out that it's viable, drop it into that process and boom, you have a full business. And so, but the number one thing I would say is for people to go fail, go try to make mistakes and learn from them. But if you don't take the lesson from the mistake, yeah, then there's no point and you should Good probably point. just, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, go make the mistake, but learn the lesson. Hmm. Great. Last question. How can people contact you? Uh, very easy. If you want to go to level number nine, virtual.com uh, on the top right hand corner, there's a book a call button. That's a fast way to get in touch with us. Um, or you can email me joe at level9virtual.com. Amazing, Joe. Thank you again for your time today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Joe and learned something new about the entrepreneur bottleneck. Let me know if you have any questions or comments about the show. I love hearing from fellow entrepreneurs and I'm always happy to engage in meaningful conversations. In the meantime, I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.